We are doing a series, and it's going to end today. We're going to start the book of Jonah when I get back. And um, But I, I was doing a, a series where looking at the, the verses where God says, do that, and I will blow your mind. You know, and, and we saw in Psalms 1 where he said, meditate my word day and night. I'll bless you in all that you can do. That's pretty outrageous. I mean, there's really not a bigger blessing you can have. And it's not like he's asking you to carry a 80-pound pack, you know, up a cliff. He's just saying, meditate the word. It's like, where's the sweat in that, you know? Uh, it's a pretty lovely thing to do, even if there was no blessing in it. And then we saw last week prayer, where many, many verses, where Jesus says, believe, that mountain will be moved. Whatever you desire, ask, and I'll do it, that your joy is full, the Father is glorified. And then he said, you can ask, but I'm going to do it exceedingly, abundantly, above what you ask or think. And so we receive not, why? Because we ask not. And then you can pray without ceasing. It's just a constant communion with the mind, without the mind, just fellowshipping with God, meditating on the word, praying without ceasing. That person's going to have a, a blessed life. Well, one other area we find in Malachi 3.10, and I gave you some notes that are rather lengthy because there's a lot of verses in there uh, that we're not going to read, but they're there for your study later on. But in Malachi 3, God says, test me in this area of giving if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing there's not room enough to receive it. That's a pretty outrageous promise. God says, my desire is to bless you in all that you do. My desire is that your heart's full of the word and you're asking. Everyone who seeks, everybody asks, receives. Everybody who seeks, finds. Everybody who knocks, the door's open. My desire is just to have this flow of answered prayers in your direction. And now he's... Talking about the area of giving, he says, my desire is just to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing where you're screaming out, stop, it's too much. <laughs> and so I just want to precursor this today, that we in Calvary Chapel sort of pride ourselves in never talking about money. <laughs> so um, a matter of fact, Chuck Smith has a book called Calvary Chapel Distinctives, and there's only seven of them. And one of them is don't talk about money <laughs> because God's not broke and uh, it's defaming him when you make it sound like he's needy. And so I'll just say that I do know that there's a large percentage of people that have been in churches where this money thing's been abused. And there's just a lot of bad taste in the mouth when you bring up the topic. And uh, so if you're going through PTSD this morning or whatever, um, we'll pray for you. And, uh, and so I, I understand that going into it. That, that, but, you know, the Bible talks about it. So hopefully if you, you know, do a good doctrinal teaching on what the Bible actually says, it could be healing. And, and uh we're not talking about this because there's some big need or we're broke or, you know, it's always be funny when those guys would say on the radio, we need your offering now, we're going to go off the radio. It's like, go off the radio. <laughs> not a problem. But don't defame God by making it sound like God's messing up and you need to fix it. Um, by feeling guilty about this guy going off the radio. No, that's just so wrong. But here in, in Malachi 3, in verse 7, it's talking about Israel returning to the Lord. Has everybody got a copy of the notes this morning? If you don't, raise your hand. And um, get you some. It looks like everybody does, except my wife. Um, <laughs> so. Um, so Malachi 3, 7, he says, Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, In what way shall we return to you? That, that word return is a very strong word. It literally means starting, getting a new starting point. 
letting things be fresh. I like the way it says in Acts 3, uh, let, let's start a new point where the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And this is the concept. Now, he goes on to say, how do you return to me? And this is what he says in verse 8 to 12. Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. You say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with the curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the waters of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fell to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So he says, return to me. Let's start a brand new start. And to be honest with you, I'm quite surprised at God's answer. I, I would have thought he would have said something different. Let's get a fresh start. Start believing in me. Now that makes sense, right? Start putting your trust in me. It, it's a very important topic in the Bible. As a matter of fact, in the Old and New Testament, it's mentioned 272 times. I counted three times to make sure. Computer program. Our God says, hey, we're going to get a new start. Start seeking me in prayer. Another important topic, 371 times in the Bible. Let's get a brand new start. Let's start having this relationship in love. There you go. That's it, right? Love. You know it's mentioned 714 times in the Bible. But he doesn't say any of those obvious ones. But he says giving. Boy, in the Bible, guys, it's mentioned 2,162 times. Crazy, isn't it? Matter of fact, Jesus used money or giving or the lack of it um, in a surprising level. Someone pointed out that in the Bible as a whole, that one out of ten verses has something to do related to money or stewardship or giving. But in Jesus' parables, 12 of the 38 parables had somehow money used in that parable. One-sixth of all of Matthew, Mark, and Luke is relating to the issue of giving or finances. Now, we know the longest book in the Longest chapter in the Bible is probably on the most important topic, which also happens to land right in the middle of the Bible. Isn't that crazy? And it's Psalm 119 on the importance of God's word daily in your life. But a lot of people don't know the second longest chapter in the Bible is Numbers 7. And it's actually just a list of the offerings the various leaders made. They gave their name and what they gave. A name and what they gave. A name and what they gave. And, and it's sort of going, why is this in the Bible? It's got to be the most boring chapter. Am I even required to read this? But you stop to realize that God is saying to us, I'm paying attention. I'm writing it down. It's clearly noted and remembered in very detail, missing none, what people are giving. And, uh, and so we, we realize that in God's mindset, our dealings with finances is a telltale sign of, of what's really going on. Interesting, isn't it? So we look at the tithe. He says, you rob me in tithes, and then secondly, offerings. A tithe is just 10%. $100, 10%, Real simple math. And um, we realize in Leviticus 27, 30, he says very specifically, all the tithe of the land, whether it's seed of the land, 
the fruit of the tree, this is important, is the Lord's. It's holy to the Lord. As we read on, you can study it out in, in Numbers and Deuteronomy. The tithe was actually 100% the salaries for the priests. Then on top of that, the people had offerings for the building, for the poor, for giving to uh, their, their son. They, there was a price they had to pay if you had a son. There was other offerings. But the, 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 the actual tithe was just 100% supposed to be for the salaries of the priests. And he, he makes it clear. The tithe is the Lord's. It's holy, sanctified, set apart to the Lord. And so, here's a great analogy, I think. Let's say I'm down by the swimming pool, and I'm laying out with somebody, getting some sun, and then I say to the guy, hey, would you watch my stuff here? here here's my wallet. Keep an eye on this. I'm going to go swimming for a while. And I jump in the pool, and I get out, and I say, hey, where, where's my wallet? He says, your wallet is my wallet. And I'm like, well, how do you figure it's your wallet? Well, I'm holding it. And since I'm holding on to it, it's now mine. You, you would think that's ridiculous, right? But in essence, that's what God is saying. It never was yours. That top 10% never was yours. It was simply something I gave you to hold on to. So if God provided $1,000, he actually um, gave you 900 the hundred was for him. It always was his. And, uh, and so again, this is where people often think, you know, this is sort of a, uh, an option. You know, you live for the Lord, you love him, you obey him. And then if you give some money on top of that, icing on the cake. But as long as I do the important things, you know, money isn't going to get between me and God. And God is saying, no, it's, it's a very important issue to me. And, uh, and so we need to come to that place to, to realize that, hey, th this has always been the Lord's. It's always the Lord's. Now, I just want to stop here and, and just say something for a minute. If God were to say, I'm going to give you 50% to live on and the other 50% is for my work, we wouldn't have questioned it. We'd say, okay. If God said 30%, we would have said, okay. I mean, we wouldn't have questioned if God said 20%, right? But yet, God says 10%, and our attitude should be, what? That's a ridiculously low amount. You're giving me 90%? Wow, Lord, you're, that, that's such a, small thing that you're asking. But yet you find people wrestling, trying to get out 10%, and they squeak out 5% or 7%. And even then, it's it's just, it's just hard, heavy thing. But if God said 20%, they'd probably be squeaking out 15%, 17%. And it wouldn't have been a big deal whatsoever, but yet they, they made it a deal. And so let's understand that really, it's pretty minimal. It's not, a, it's not a big deal whatsoever unless there's something going on in your heart. Now, some people like to say, well, you know, that's an Old Testament law thing. It's not in the New Testament. Well, let's look at it. We first discover that this tithe thing came up hundreds of years before a law ever came about. There's a radical story in Genesis 14 where Abraham hears that Lot was taken captive along with the five countries there in the valley with Sodom and Gomorrah and some other ones, and, and these other four kingdoms came and attacked him and won the battle, and now all nine countries are, are heading back. And, and Abraham, with 318 guys, that's it, against nine countries, goes after them and wins the battle, and now he's bringing all the spoil Back. The law of that day was, if you rescued a country, all you had to give up was the women and the children and the people. 
you kept. Everything else was yours. That was your uh, reward for saving their lives in, in slavery. So here is Abraham, already a rich man. He's now <laughs> heading back to the promised land with the wealth of nine nations. And that night, the Lord met Abraham as a king of Salem and a priest of God Most High. King and priest. We're getting ready to study that on Hebrews. Really fascinating study. But he appears to him and he says, hey, let's have communion. They didn't call it that, but it was bread and wine. We're going to find out this Melchizedek is Jesus. It says it plainly in Hebrews. It's actually a theophany, a Christophany. Jesus shows up. And how does he, what does he say first to Abraham? He says to him, blessed be Abram, not Abraham yet, blessed be Abram, God most high. Then he says this, possessor of the heavens and the earth. God says, here's a guy named Abraham, and he, you are the possessor of all things. You, you don't just own what those nine nations had and all the wealth before. If you're my kid, you own everything that I own because you're my kid. Well, Abraham had a very um, crazy experience. The next day, when the king of, of Sodom and Gomorrah said, well, keep everything that's yours. Abraham literally almost threw up. And he said, I wouldn't take a piece of leather that broke off your sandal. Lest you say, I made Abraham a rich man. No. God has given me all that I have. And I will not let you defame that. I, I will take nothing from you whatsoever. And the next day, in, in Genesis 15, 1, the Lord appeared to Abraham in a vision, and he said, don't be afraid. I mean, you just insulted nine countries. You shouldn't be afraid. <laughs> not, not a good foreign policy. But he said, don't be afraid. I'm your shield, and I am your exceedingly great reward. Well, in that time, when Abraham understood who he was in God and who God was, it says that Abraham gave him a tenth of all. That's the first time it's mentioned in the Bible. Somehow, Abraham, in the midst of worshiping before Jesus, he just said, I gotta give you a tenth. Where did he come from? I don't know. Maybe it was something that was an oral tradition from Adam and Eve. I don't, we don't know. But this is the first time it's mentioned. Nobody told him to do it. Nobody gave him a required percent. It's something that came from his worship at that moment. Jacob later on uh, had said the same exact thing in Genesis 28. Well, of course, we find it in the law. In Exodus 23:19, he says, the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. It was the first portion. It wasn't just 10%. It was the first 10%. And in the case of Israel, they were to farm, harvest 10%, take it to worship, and then come back and finish their field. So in that time, they could have had a fire, they could have locusts, they could have you know, do, there's a lot of things that could have harmed it, but they, it was by faith they had to get 10%. And, and so, again, here, it's not, well, I would love to give 10%. Let me figure out my finances for the month and see what I can afford. That's not the point. The point is, it's that top 10% by faith, trusting that the Lord is your provider. In Leviticus 27, 30, once again, he says, all the time of the land is the Lord's, it's holy to the Lord's. What about the New Testament? Well, in Luke 11, you might remember, Jesus started rebuking the Pharisees, and he said, woe are you Pharisees, 
For you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs, and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Jesus here in his word, it's very emphatic. Referring to the tithe, grammatically here, he says, yes, your tithe you ought to have done. That's the Greek word deo. It's the same word that Jesus says you must be born again. It's the word must or ought. But without leaving the other undone, justice and the love for God. You see, there's, there's two different attitudes. Some people say, well, I don't want to live for God, but I'll give him a lot of money. So you have some rich guy writing some big check, impressed with himself, and it's really not that big compared to what he has. It's amazing how people will write some check for something and it's like 0.001% of what they made that year, but they're still very proud of themselves. It's interesting if you look at, and you can Google this, guys. Since the Depression, the giving to nonprofit organizations, especially the church, has gone down every year. Here, here's going to blow your mind. In the Depression, the average given to the church was 3.7% in the Depression. Today, this last year, 2.2%. In the last three years, we've had some of the best economy we've ever seen, for sure most of us in our lifetime, but yet the percent of what people is giving is at a record historical low. Historically, the best economy, giving historical worst year. Interesting, isn't it? And, and so, again here, we, we see that there are those percents of people, though, that, that say, well, I'll, you know, I'll pay this amount and, and just leave me alone about how I live. Hey, he's God our Father, not the Godfather. You can't pay him off. Keep your money. But then there's the other people saying, oh, I'm going to live for God, I'm going to love God, I'll help Sunday school, and I'll usher, and I'll go on the mission trip, but just, I can't give anything financially. You understand, right? And there's a percentage of people like that. Well, Jesus says, no. It's not one or the other. It's both. Yes, we need to be loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, but we also need to understand that the tithe is the Lord's. What above that, he talks about an offering. What is an offering? Well, you can go into detail. There's several different offerings. After the tithe, there was a percent. Every three years, they had to give another 10% for the poor. Um, then there was the redemption amount. When you had a firstborn son, there was a pretty costly amount you had to donate. And then the temple tax on a regular basis. One scholar put it together and he said if you added it up, you know, over a 10-year period or lifetime or whatever, that it would come out per year to 23 and a third percent. You're going, hey, Jesus said 10%. Okay, that's fine. This is the law. <laughs> this is the Old Testament. But you think about it, if... After tithes and offerings in the Old Testament, they were required to give 23 and a third percent for sheep that were killed in the blood of a man putting on a mercy seat so it's said to be covered for a year. How much more? Not a lamb, but the lamb of God. Not the blood for a covering, but blood, blood taking away our sin. So this is an interesting thing. So what's the difference between a tithe and an offering? A tithe is a mandatory amount, and it's fixed. And, and you think about it, it respects rich and poor. So if you are a poor person, a 10% is a much smaller amount. If you're a rich person, it's a much greater amount. But either way, it's the same percent to everyone. It's equal. But the, off the offering... 
It is not a mandatory set amount. In the Old Testament, again, there were some for the poor and for the temple tax and that kind of stuff, but it does not translate into the New Testament, I agree. But we definitely have offerings about tithes in the New Testament. It's not a set amount, and you decide where it goes. So the tithe is you don't have control over it. And the Bible makes it clear. You give it to those who minister to you. It goes to the church, and the elders of the church, those on the board, have the control of that. You can't direct that, 10%. It's just a sacrifice you give, it's over. But then above that of an offering, you can direct it. Hey, I'd like this to go for the missions, or this particular missionary, or buy Bibles for the Gideon Association. You can direct those offerings, whatever it is, according to your faith, according to the the giving of your heart. So sometimes people say, well, what kind of percent are we talking about, Brian, here? Are we talking about a gross income or the net income? Well, do you want a gross blessing or a net blessing? It's up to you. But there are some very important points about how we give. Number one, page six. It's got to be by faith. In Luke 6, 38, Jesus says, Give, and it shall be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken over, running over. It'll be put back into your bosom. For at the same measure that you measure out, it'll be measured back to you. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So, I would just say it's got to be in faith and according to your faith. Secondly, not of need. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Understand, guys, we are not giving because the church has needs, because we've got bills, because we all need to be practical here and, and kick in our, you know, our, our dues to our country club here. That, that, that's just completely opposite. You're not paying your dues. You're not you know, doing it because you're a member. You're not doing it because we have needs. It's out of a principle that we recognize all that we have is from God's hand. And God gave me every penny of it. And he says, enjoy 90% of it for whatever you want to do. But honor me and I'll honor you with that top 10%. It's out of principle, not out of need. Matter of fact, the Lord makes it clear if he were hungry, he would never ask us. Many verses, don't have a time to look at all of them, but in Exodus 19.5, the Lord says, the earth is mine. In 2 Chronicles 29.11, he says, all the earth, all the heavens and the earth are, are yours. Oh God, he says in the prayer. In Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in. In Psalms 50, verse 10 to 12, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills, I know all the birds of the mountains, the wild beasts in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world's mine in all its fullness. In Psalms 89 11, and the heavens are yours, and the earth is yours, the world in all its fullness. In Haggai 2 8, the silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. And, uh, you know, the idea that God somehow is going to go bankrupt if we don't, you know, ante up our dues. That's just so dishonoring to God in the Bible. But we're giving out of worship, out of a principle that God's given us. And God can provide any number of ways. I think of that story in Matthew where Peter says, hey, the temple tax, we don't have money for that. And Jesus says, Peter, go fishing. The very first fish you catch, open it up and see what's inside. And there was a coin in the fish's mouth, the exact amount they needed to pay for their taxes. You just think about that a minute. You know, we know God knows every number of hairs on our head and every 
sparrow that falls from the sky. And he also knows where every piece of silver and gold is, even if it's in a fish's stomach. And uh, he just happens to have that fish swim over and bite onto Peter's line, and, and, and there it is. We have all kinds of examples. God can bring man out of heaven, water out of a rock. You, you think the Lord's hard up here and worried about? <laughs> if you can bring water out of a rock, you're pretty well set. Um, we see him causing the south wind to blow and stacks up quail where the children of Israel could eat meat. Jesus broke the bread of one little boy's fish and loaves and fed 5,000 men plus women and children. And there was leftovers after that. The list goes on. Well, not only does it need to be by faith, not only is it not of need, but it needs to be willingly, not grudgingly. In 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 3, he says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of your joy, their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they were what? Freely willing. So it was funny. Paul says, hey, go through and tell these Gentile churches that the church in Jerusalem is really having a hard time. And he's traveling around and hitting some rich places up like Corinth. But he happens to go to some places that are really bad off. That are equally as bad off as Jerusalem, really, with persecution and, and difficulties. But yet, when they come and share the need in Jerusalem, these people, even though they were in their own personal affliction, in their own poverty, they gave freely, um, even as these incredibly poor people. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, so that each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, nor of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. When I was a, a little kid, I went one Saturday night. My, my aunt and this other family didn't go to church, but I think my parents thought, oh, Brandon's going to spend the night with his cousin on Saturday night. Maybe they'll all come to church Sunday morning, which they did. But in Sunday mornings at my house, and I found out this was a family tradition passed down, my dad would say, hey, how many eggs you want? What kind of, how many pieces of sausage you want? You know, he'd fix a breakfast for lunch at church. And so my aunt comes in and does the same thing. And I'm like, man, I'm really hungry. I'll, I'll take uh, three eggs and three pieces of sausage, you know? And so we get to the breakfast table, and there are three pieces of sausage on my plate, but no sausage on anybody else's plate. And my cousin says, hey, Mom, I said I wanted some sausage, too. And he goes, nope, there is no more. We only have three pieces. And Brian wants three. He's going to get three. And I'm like, I was just a little guy. And I'm like, well, no, I, I think, you know, one's plenty. Let's do that, and everybody can have some. And she's like, nope, nope. You got three. You're going to eat three. And I'm like, really? No, actually, no, I'm not very hungry at all. Um, and... Uh, well, I, I tried to eat that breakfast, but it, it literally made me sick. So, again, God doesn't need your stinking money, okay? If you're getting money, here it is, God. I hope you're happy. You understand? I mean, I've had a tough time this month now that I'm giving to you, God. Well, you know, that's a lot of money for given to the church. What do they got going on in there? Keep it. God doesn't want to choke down your sausage. <laughs> Keep it. Please. He literally doesn't want it. It's not a matter of, well, I'm doing it anyway. No. It, the, the whole point is it needs to be willingly, by faith, it's not a necessity. It's, it's something that you're doing out of obedience to God and his word and, and the recognizing that everything I have is from the Lord and whatever he wants. Um, Jesus, again, makes it clear. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's good just to have that heart. Interesting, we go back when Moses said, let's build the tabernacle. And he said, 
Everybody who's willing, of a willing heart, can bring stuff to, to an offering to build the tabernacle. That wouldn't be their tithe, but a, an offering. And, and so we find in chapter 25 and then 35 of Exodus, whoever was willing came. And in chapter 35 of Exodus, that everyone came whose heart was stirred, everyone whose spirit was willing, as many as had a willing heart, and it was the Lord's offering. And in chapter 39, 29, it says, And the children of Israel brought a free will offering to the Lord, all the men and the women whose hearts were willing to bring material to all kinds of work which the Lord, by the hand of Moses, he commanded it to be done. Now what happened was, is people started giving, and they came back saying, we got too much gold. Tell them to stop giving. We have too much material. Tell them to stop. And so Moses gave another command going, stop giving. And the people were sneaking it in. Son, jump under the fence. Run over there. You know, put our gold in that tent. Get out, you know. And so they had to put guards up to keep people from giving. <laughs> That's a willing heart, isn't it? And it's also just a neat thing to see the Lord so work with people. In 2 Samuel 24, David had a sin by counting the people to see how big of an army he had, which was a no-no. If you read back in Deuteronomy 17. And God caused a plague to come on Jerusalem. And he realized he needed to run above his house, which would later be where the temple would be built. And he went to this rock, which is probably later where the actual Holy of Holies was set. And he went up to this guy who was a Jubicite, who, who was supposed to be kicked out of the city, but he was in submission to Israel being there in Jerusalem. And he goes, hey, I, I need to make a sacrifice right now. And he says, hey, it's yours. I, right here, these, these bulls are yours. Um, here's some wood. Here, what, just let me give it to you. And David said this in 2 Samuel 24, 20. 24-24. The king said to Arnah, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which cost me nothing. That ended up becoming a statement in Israel. I will not worship the Lord with that which cost me nothing. And then the fourth thing we find here, it must be of a heart of love. 1 Corinthians 13 says, if we were to give all our goods to feed the poor and have not love, it would profit us nothing. So you get to heaven and you go, well, yeah, you know, I give, I give a lot of money. The Lord's like, I, I have no record of you giving anything. How can that be? Well, did you give it from a heart of love? Well, you know, I don't know about that. Yeah, well, it, it, it's not recorded here. I only record the giving that's been from that heart of love. And then in the same way, an act of worship. The fifth thing in giving, it needs to be worship. I think of those wise men who came when Jesus was a baby. And these Arabs that came from either Jordan or Saudi Arabia, Iraq, or Iran. I don't know where they came from. But they came from that direction. And they come there, and they find baby Jesus in Bethlehem. And it says that they fell down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They came and they gave it in worship. In Mark 14, Mary, not a rich lady, but she had an alabaster flask of oil. Her retirement plan, probably given as a dowry when she got married. But she broke it open, and once you break it open, it's, it's no longer keepable. And she took this expensive oil and dumped it on Jesus and worshipped him. Well, Judas had something to say about that. He comes and sees this, and he says, what a waste. Thus the name, son of perdition. The word perdition means waste. 
His life was a waste. But he says, what a waste. If you guys were spiritually smart, you would have taken that alabaster flask, sold it, and given all the money to the poor. That's what Judas says. What a waste. Dumping that on Jesus. What a waste. Worshiping Jesus with this elaborate, expensive offering. And Jesus rebuked Judas and said, leave this woman alone. What she has done will be recorded throughout human history. But yet, there are those people that say, well, you know, I'm going to give some money, but I'll give it to somewhere where it counts, not the church, not the bride of Christ. Jesus said, I will build my church. Jesus said, did Jesus ever say, I'm going to die on the cross for you? He never said it. I mean, it's implied that he did. But what did he say? He said, I died on the cross because I love the church. Interesting, huh? In Ephesians 5, Christ died for the church. The church is precious. They may come and say, well, this church is full of a bunch of strange people and, you know, this and that. You, you may, and it's like, Jesus is like, hello, are you talking about my bride? I mean, could you go up to some guy who's engaged going, you're getting married? She's sort of ugly. <laughs> could you imagine doing that to somebody? But yet there's people that have that attitude towards the church. Bunch of hypocrites. Bunch of weirdos. Hey, we're beautiful to Jesus. And so, yes, we are coming and dumping the alabaster flask on the church that Christ built, on the bride of Christ. It's okay. Don't, don't see it as a waste. In 2 Corinthians 8, um, again talking about that church in Macedonia, in verse 5 through 7, it says, They didn't give as we originally hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that he also has begun so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in diligence, in love, for us, see that you abound in this grace also. What grace? The grace of giving. So the church of Macedonia, their knee-jerk reaction is, help the poor, we are poor. Help the persecuted church in Jerusalem, we're being persecuted. But yet as he ministered about the worship of giving, as he ministered to understand that, no, it's not an amount, it's whatever God is placing on your heart. They wrestled with it. And as they wrestled with this issue of giving, something broke. And then they just surrendered. And they gave themselves to the Lord like they've never given themselves before, and then they gave themselves to the church, to the body of Christ, like they had never given before. And then they were more than willing, and they not only gave of their ability, they gave beyond their ability. God did a work in them. Number six, it needs to be an honest giving. You guys might remember in Joshua 7 where the word was, hey, the very first city that we conquer as a nation, that's our tithe. You can't take anything from it. We remember that was the story of Jericho. Remember Joshua 5, the Battle of Jericho? And anyway, um, there was a guy, Achan, who just saw some of this golden fabric, just couldn't pass it up. Well, they ended up having their next battle, this little nothing battle, and they lost it. And they came back and and it, it had to go through this big process, but it finally came to Achan. And he's just like, ah, oh, I couldn't lift, I couldn't stop myself. And they put him to death and made a big mound of stones as a remembrance that you're not to take what is the Lord's. In Acts chapter 5, you might remember that story of Ananias and Sapphira. They saw Barnabas, who gave everything to the church. There was a lot of widows that were in need. 
And so Ananias and Sapphira saw all the praise that Barnabas gave, not that he meant to do that. But they came in and said, hey, we're giving everything like Barnabas. And the Holy Spirit spoke to Peter going, everything? They just gave back a little bit for themselves. And, and, and as I said, yep. And he goes, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. And he died. Even though he probably gave 99.999%. He wasn't honest. And then his wife came in. The same thing happened. And so, again, it's giving a real tithe. It's interesting that, I won't go into that, but the people always think they give much more than they actually give. I'd encourage you this year as you do your taxes to look at it and ask, did I really give 10% as a tithe? Not, not a, a, an arbitrary idea. Yeah, that's, that's how much I give when I call it a tithe. No, call it whatever you want to call it. Just don't call it a tithe. I don't want you to get killed. <laughs> I don't want you to fall over dead. You gave according to your willingness of heart? Fine. That's between you and the Lord. Like I said, it's not about the money. But be honest. Just be honest with yourself and before God. Yes, God, I gave an honest 10% and above that of an offering. One penny, that's it. Fine. But you have that, that honesty. So God, why does God want us to tithe? Well, we made it clear it's not because he's broke. He tells us here, because I don't want you to be cursed with the curse. I don't want you to be these people that are just seeming always to have a difficult life. He, he's going to say it the last verse, so you'll be seen as a blessed people, a delightful people. We see in Haggai where it was time to build the new temple. And the people were not obeying the word of the Lord. And the Lord says in Haggai 1, verse 5, he says, consider your ways. Listen to verse 6. You sow much, but you bring in little. You eat, but it's not satisfying you. You drink, and you're still thirsty. You're clothed, but you're still cold. And he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Consider your ways. God says, you don't understand. I'm the one that makes everything work. So you're going to eat and eat and eat. You're still going to be starving, and the nutrients aren't going into your body to strengthen you. You drink and drink and drink and you're still thirsty. And then you have this big bag of gold and I just have one of my angels walk over and boop, put a finger in it and then knock a hole and so the time you get home, you have an empty bag. Why, why is God doing this? Because he, he's this guy who's all greedy for money and wants your money? No. It's because he knows what's going on in your heart. And he knows that what's going on in your heart is greed and, and lack of faith and selfishness. There's a story where this guy's walking through the desert and he's running out of water. And he comes to this shed. And there is a pump. And he pumps it and nothing happens. And, and then he notices this bottle on the porch of this broken down shed. And it says, yes, this water is good to drink. But I tell you now, don't drink it, but use it as primer for the pump. And so the guy's like, I'm dying of thirst. I just want to down this bottle right now. And he finally figures out, okay, I'm going to do it. And he pours it on the pump, and that is the primer, and, and it loosens up the sills and all the water he wants begins to come out. One person say, well, I can't afford to tithe. But the wise man says, I can't afford not to. Dale Moody said, I can tell more by a man's spirituality from his checkbook than from his prayer book. So giving is not a way to, for God to raise money. Giving is a way for God to raise his children. Do you understand this? If you say, well, i got to give because the church is in need. I can go catch a fish tomorrow and pay for the next 10 years' bills of our church. It is not about the money. It's about you. It's about your heart. It's about 
you having God's blessings is about you not living in this greedy world that's choking you out and you don't even know it. In Philippians 4, you've got to listen to this in verse 15 through 19. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even at Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again to my necessities. Now listen to verse 17, Philippians 4, 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound, I am full, I received from Epaphroditus things you sent, sweet aroma, acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God. And in verse 19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. Solomon, wise guy. Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 10. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and what? Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. You say, what, what, what's that mean? Well, he's going to tell you tonight. It's in your tithes and offerings. And he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. It'll be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase so your arms will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. God wants you to be a person that has a heart that's drinking in and it satisfies. That of human water, but more importantly, spiritual water. God wants you to have a heart where you're walking by faith. And I, I have learned, you can choose to walk by faith or God will choose it for you. You're going to walk by faith if you're his child. Chuck Smith used to always say, God wants us to live under the spout where the blessings flow out. He wants to free our hearts from this evil greediness and to keep our hearts on the things above where Christ is seated. Jesus teaches on this in Matthew 6, 19-21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's that saying, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. But then Jesus says something rather strange. We're going to see verse 24 is still talking about the money issue. So what's he mean here in verse 22 to 23? The lamp of the body is the eye. If your eyes good or clear, your whole body is full of light. If your eye is bad or unclear, your whole body is full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, you realize that they associated the eye with giving. You say, well, why is that? I have no idea. When I go to other countries and they're speaking a foreign language, it's like, how did people go crazy before cars in America? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, in America, you drive people crazy. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what he used to say. Oh, I'm going to gallop you to uh, craziness. <laughs> I, I have no idea what they said before that. But anyway, the I is giving or not giving. In Deuteronomy 15, he says that the person with an evil eye or an unclear eye uh, doesn't treat the poor brother as he ought to treat. Proverbs 22, 9, the generous eye will be blessed. Proverbs 28, 22, a man with an evil eye hastened after riches and not consider the poverty that will come upon him. So Jesus, in essence, is saying this. I... I can't look at your heart. I can't even look at my own heart and really know whether I'm being a giving or greedy person as I ought. And so God says, I'm going to give you a thermometer to, to be able to take your spiritual temperature. Well, well, how? If your eye is clear, if you're giving as God has asked of you, as God has required, and as God has desired, that eye is clear, your whole body is full of light. But if you're finding it difficult and hard and, 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 and it's, it's a burden, and, and, and then if your eye is unclear, then your whole body is full of darkness. Listen to verse 24. He's, Jesus is still talking. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. 
He'll either hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. He breaks all the gods of the world down into two, God and money. And so he says, here it goes right now. I'm going to help you. Right now you're hearing the sermon I'm giving, and you're sitting here going, man, it's so true. I can remember when God did this in my life, and I started tithing. I didn't have the money. You know, I was a single mom with four kids, and I said, by faith, I did it. And, and, and then above that, I have an offering, and, and, and I'll tell you what, I'm free. And I've been doing it now for 30 years, and I'm telling you, oh, it's, this is wonderful, Brian. We should preach on this more often. Or you're going, Sunday came to church. This is what I figured, this stinking church. Trying to get some more of my money. It's my money. And I'll give what I want. Don't you talk to me. You, you, you're loving the one, but hating the other. I love God, and I hate stinking manna. I, I love God, and I hate dealing with money. I, I just hate it. Or, I love my money. God, I hate you. Get away from me. I don't want you to talk about my money. You're loving the one, clinging to the other, despising the one. You can't love God and mammon. It's either one or the other. Well, Jesus makes a very clear parable about this in Luke 12. You guys probably know this. Jesus says, here's the title of this parable. Take heed and beware of covetousness. And there's this farmer that God just blesses, and he builds these barns, and he fills it up, and the next year he gets doubly blessed. He says, tear down those old barns and build some new ones, and, and, and he stacks all these barns up, and he's wealthy, and he says in his heart, oh, now my soul has many goods laid up for many years. I can now take my ease and eat, drink, and be merry. And that night, God said, you fool, for this night, your life is required of you. And in Luke 12, 21, this is the conclusion. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is what? Not rich towards God. Boy, there's so many things on this point, is there not? Um, we are coming to the end of our time, and we just have a few more thoughts here. I'm going to let you read some of those on your own there. But the point is, God as our Father is trying to free us up, not to weigh us down. God is talking about the issue of money so we would know the truth, and the truth would set us free. Isn't it weird, our dollar? Come on, guys. It's just a piece of paper. The only reason it has any value at all is because we're agreeing to it. A diamond. It's just a rock. If they were everywhere like pebbles, we'd be annoyed by that. Oh, I got another diamond in my shoe. <laughs> but somebody said, Woo, that's worth a lot of money. Really? I think green rocks or purple rocks are better than a clear rock. But the De Beer family in 1924 set out the best marketing of ever, who basically taught the whole world, you're not really married unless you have a diamond. And it worked. Before that, it wasn't the case. And so, again, it's, it's ridiculous. I got this piece of paper. I'll kill somebody. Give me your paper. Show up to a bank. I want a lot of your paper. The bigger the number, the better. You're running out with all this paper. Woo! Used to, it, was a, it was a tree a while back. Imagine running down the road with a tree and a gun. It's, it's stupid. Naked we came into this world. Naked we go out. Can't take anything with you. And, and, and people worry and fret and fight. And, and they're dishonest and, and bend the rules and do everything they can to... You try to get a little more of this rock and paper and wood and metal. Then we die. And somebody else gets our metal, paper, rocks. It's, it's foolishness. And especially for our heart to be in love with it or to trust in it 
or to worship it. So God is trying to free us up, not bind us up. He's not trying to weigh us down. He's trying to lighten us up. In 1 John 5, he says, to those who love God, the things of God are not burdensome. So giving tithes and offerings is burdensome. It's really something deep in your heart. It's not about God asking for this tiny little percent. Well, he says again, I want to open the windows of heaven and pour a blessing on you more than you can take. That's my desire. Jim Elliott said, it is, the man is no fool to give what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. Great quote. And God says, I'll rebuke the devourer. There's a great story about Elijah. In 1 Kings 17, in a famine, God says, go to Syria to this widow. And he goes over to this widow. And she, he's not sure why he's there. She's not sure why he's there. And he says, can I have some water? And she's like, sure. Hey, not just water, can you give me a piece of bread? And she turned around going, look, I've got my son. It's just me and him. I have a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. I was going to make one more piece of bread, and we're dying of starvation. This must have been a hard thing for a single grown man to say to a widow who has a child, a single mom. But the Lord required him to say, do what you said, but give it to me first. And then make some for your son and you. That'd be a hard thing to say. But she did that. And the bread never ran out, the oil never ran out, the water never ran out for the three years of that famine. In Proverbs 11, 24 and 25, there is one who scatters, yet increases more. There is one who withholds more than is right, and it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. And there's several other verses I have there listed for you. The guys are coming with their wealth and pouring in their bags of change. Everybody's looking. And then there's this widow that comes up and puts in a fraction of the penny. And Jesus says, look. Even Jesus, while he was in human flesh, was paying attention. How much more God at the right hand of the Father. But he says, see what that widow put in? All of those rich guys with all of their pounds of money, didn't match her giving. For they, out of their wealth, gave a percent. She gave all that she had. And I tell you, her reward in heaven will be far greater. Well, and then in verse 12, it says, and all the nations will look on you and see this blessedness about you. And they'll, all these other nations, instead of hating you, will find delight in you. Interesting. Why? Because they're not robbing God anymore. They're giving of their tithes and their offerings. One last story and we'll end. There, there was a small church that always struggled. And they kept wanting this guy who ran the granary in town to be the treasurer of the church. And he's like, I'm not interested, not interested. So finally, one year, they, they said, look, please. And he said, I will do it. But here's the terms. Nobody question, get asked any financial questions for 12 months. At the end of the year, you can then ask. Number two, I will do it, but I'm not going to publish any reports till the end of the year. People were rather surprised. But at the end of the year... Out came the report, and he said, after the report, I'll answer your questions. He said, the report showed, we owe $228,000 on our mortgage. It's been paid off. The minister's salary, 8%. Our outreach to missions, 200% gone up. We have no outstanding bills, and we have $11,252 in the bank. And now the people said, how can this be? He said it was very simple. You know, I run the granary, and most of you guys work there. So 
I just took 10% out of each of your paychecks and donated it to the church in your name. That was it. <laughs> it's interesting if everybody who just went to church in America right now gave 10%. In one year, all the mortgage payments on all church buildings in America would be paid off. The following year, we can solve world hunger. <laughs> That's how much 10% is. And of course, in the hands of God, He can multiply it much more than that. Well, Lord, we come and we realize that yes, your word, meditating day and night is the key. Praying, fellowship with you, praying without ceasing, ask whatever we desire, even mountains being moved. And now we come, and, and we, it's sort of silly that we even see this one too. It seems so minimal. There's no big burden. There's no giant, heavy thing. But yet, if our heart is not in the right place, we know it can be something that is just angry and smashing. And seems like God's asking for us an, an unreasonable thing. We know it's our hearts, Lord. And so we know your desire is to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing more than we can receive. So we come before you now, Lord, and ask that you'd help us, God. Search our hearts. See if there be any wicked way in us and lead us in the way of everlasting. Lord, please help me to be honest. Give me a heart of faith joy and worship that like that Mary with the alabaster flask we just dump it on you with giggling and laughter and cheerfulness and joy and that old Judas spirit would be gone that we just want to dump on you and worship on you far more than you've asked that we would do far more than you have required and far more than you desire and you can give back into us pressed down, shaken together, running over not that we're doing it for that reason but we know that you're a debtor of no man and that you will not allow us to outgive you 